0: We'll hear argument first
1: this morning in case 06571, Watson versus United States. Mr. Koch?
0: <clears throat> Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Mr. Watson's receipt of a firearm in exchange for drugs does not constitute the use of that firearm as the word use is employed by 18 U.S.C. section 924 C One for two principal reasons. First, applying the plain and ordinary meaning of the word use, the receipt of a thing is not the use of that thing. There is no grammatically proper way to say that someone uses a firearm when all that person does is receive it. Second, treating receipt as use under the statute conflicts with this Court's uh, decision in Bailey v. United States, which held that use requires active employment. And I'll address those two points in turn.
2: Would you address first whether receipt of the gun constitutes possession of the gun?
0: Yes, ma'am, I believe receipt does constitute possession. However, of course, possession, standing alone under this Court's decision in Bailey, would, does not constitute use.
2: But under the statute as amended, possession is also indictable.
0: Possession in furtherance of the offense is, it would be indictable. That, that was not charged in this particular case. And, and I would suggest that the, the, the circumstance of this case might not call that into, into play simply because his possession really was, uh, uh, was incidental and was following the conclusion of the drug transaction. So I, I think it, I, I question whether the possession furtherance would necessarily apply here. Of course, it was not charged, ma'am.
3: Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I had the same question as Justice Ginsburg. It, it, it seems to me, absent some precedents, which uh, – narrow this definition, that that would have been the way to charge a client. That's not what was charged. That's not the indictment. That's not what you're arguing. So I guess the question is more appropriate for the government. But if, following uh, Justice Ginsburg's question, uh, this covers it, and it seems to me that it does, then we're not arguing about very much.
0: I understand, Your Honor. I, I, my only point, again, would be that, that recognizing it's the, uh, that in furtherance, uh, at least by the authors of that language, was suggested to mean something more than in relation to. I think the question could legitimately be asked in a, in a, in a transaction like this where the possession basically is what he was attempting to achieve and did, in fact, achieve, but after the — at the end of the transaction. Uh, uh, I don't — I can't answer whether or not ultimately that would be deemed to be in furtherance or not.
1: Mr. Koch, let's say that the parties to the transaction are concerned about avoiding uh, exposure under the money laundering statute. And so they got together and said, all right, we're going to have this deal. What can we use besides money? And they say, well, let's use, a, use guns or let's use a gun. And the seller of the drugs says, okay, I'm willing to use that. Isn't he using the gun in furtherance of the transaction?
0: I don't believe that the uh, — that given what the — what this Court has said in Bailey, that that would constitute active employment still the uh, uh, being
1: actively employed as the consideration in the sale
0: however the uh, uh from Not being
1: shot but it's still being employed
0: yes sir from the standpoint of the of the seller excuse me from the standpoint of the drug seller who's ultimately still doing nothing more with respect to the gun. I think the focus has to be on what are, what are his activities. He hasn't even come into possession of it in the example that Your Honor has given.
1: But I think it would be a natural grammatical construction to say he's willing to use the gun for the consideration. Uh,
0: uh, Your Honor, I'm, I'm not certain that we would — that we, uh, it could be held in the absence even there of, of even possession whether or not that would be enough to constitute — to use, that would be the first question that would occur to me. Um, the uh, — certainly grammatically, and dealing, of course, of the facts of this case, grammatically, the question on the table is, when interpreting 18 U.S.C. Section 924 c one giving it, as, as this Court held in Smith, its plain and ordinary meaning, the example that was used by the D.C. Circuit in United States versus Stewart I thought was appropriate. Uh, where the, it's the coffee shop example, where you have the, the individual buying the coffee and you have the cashier, the, uh, the, customer, uh, doesn't, the customer comes in and pays with the dollar. The cashier accepts the dollar, but the cafeteria isn't using the dollar by receiving it as payment, just receiving it. Likewise, the customer isn't using the coffee through the act of receiving it. He's getting it.
4: Well, There's, if we look at this transaction, this Gunford uh, drugs transaction, is there — can you think of any good reason why Congress would want to prescribe a five-year penalty for the person who hands over the gun, but not any penalty for the person who receives the gun and hands over the drugs?
0: Uh, I, I do think that there are distinctions between the two conducts. Uh, sir, first of all, certainly the person that, uh, that has the gun and is bringing it to, the, to that transaction, I would suggest as a practical matter, presents a, a different type of risk. He's got the gun. He's in control of it. He's going to decide when and if to hand it over and in what condition it would be when he hands it over, uh, or not to hand it over at all. And, and so, so the,
4: the risk is Congress was worried that somebody would go to a transaction like this with a gun, originally intending to trade it for, for drugs, and then one the person gets there, a person decides to, to shoot somebody with the gun? And that's why they, they would penalize one side of this transaction and not the other?
0: Well, assuming, of course, in Smith, the court held that that is a use within the term of the statute. I think that the uh, looking at to, to not do violence to this court's decision in Bailey, uh, there still has to be some active employment. The the person on the drug end of the transaction is it really has nothing to do with the gun, doesn't even possess the gun, which uh, before before the other party decides to hand it over.
2: In Smith, the court said that the reason that selling the gun in exchange for drugs. What was dangerous about that was the potential for instantly converting the gun from currency to a cannon. But here isn't that even all the more of concern because one who receives the gun can instantly turn it around and shoot the drug seller.
0: He could, if the gun was handed over uh, in a condition, first of all, whether there bullets or not. That's uh, going to be up to, at the first instance, whether he brings them or not, the gun seller. The gun seller can decide whether to hand it over. This but the, this,
2: that's the same on both sides. It seems to me in both cases there's a risk of using the gun. The one who comes in with the gun can use it. The one who receives the gun can use it.
0: I, I, will, I will grant, Your Honor, there is, there's obviously risk presented by the presence of the gun potentially by either party. i suggest that as between the two parties, the fellow that shows up with the gun, who's going to decide when and if to hand it over and in what condition, cocked, uncocked, loaded, unloaded, etc is in somewhat more control. All that being said, one still gets back to the, to the seminal point, which is regardless of Congress's purpose or uh, desires here, they still chose words that have fairly common meanings, in this case, use. And it's it's grammatically uh, uh, impossible, I'd suggest, in in the straightforward transaction and trade situation, to suggest that the guy that's receiving the gun is using it by receiving it any more than the cashier is using the dollar that I pay for the cup of coffee
4: with. If the person who hands over the gun is not a government agent or informant, is there any doubt that the person who hands over the drugs can be charged with using the uh, the gun um, under 18 U.S.C. Section 2B. He causes the person who hands over the gun to do something uh, that uh, is, is a crime. Uh,
0: I do think that, there, that that's an issue that's been raised. Um, I, I question whether when the underlying offense itself uh, is the transaction, and these are the only two parties. Uh, whether or not aiding and abetting liability would be intended to extend that far any more than it would be, for example, to a drug purchaser being charged with aiding and abetting the distribution of drugs. Um, Certainly, given the severe penalties involved, I'm a little uncomfortable with that being a a usage of that statute or usage of the aiding and abetting statute. I also would point out that the overwhelming majority of these cases do involve police informants, uh, practically all of them.
4: Well, you're relying on the language of, of 924. If you look at the language of 2B, is there any doubt that this situation would fall squarely under it? Whoever willfully causes an act to be done, which, if directly performed by him, would be an offense against the United States as punishable as a principle.
0: That is what that statute says, sir. There is some jurisprudence, and it it may be older in nature, that deals with two parties to a transaction and whether or not aiding and abetting liability can be used, again, going back to my drug purchaser uh, uh, situation. Uh, And I, I question whether or not. The, uh, the aiding and abetting statute can be used. It would basically, in the drug t- context, read out the possession statute. Every p- drug buyer could be charged with distribution as a principle under Section 2. Uh, the, again, of course, that's not charged here, and, and I've, not, I've not seen cases where that has been charged.
1: Subsection B is not charged in the indictment. Uh, 18 U.S.C.
0: Section 2 was what I understood the question to be, Judge. I apologize.
1: Uh, no, that was
0: not charged in the indictment. No, sir, Section it wasn't. Uh, now, the the government's brief concedes it would not be natural to say that the customer, in my example with the coffee, used the coffee. Unless we're prepared to discard that standard usage of words uh, and, and sacrifice it for the purpose that we, and we believe Congress intended, then I think that the analysis really does stop there if one's reading the language of the statute and, and applying
2: it. Mr. Koch, but the government answers that a dollar for coffee by saying, it depends what question you ask. So if you ask, was the coffee part of a beverage transaction, the answer would be, of course, yes. One this of the problems.
0: Ma'am, yes, ma'am. One of the problems I think that that, that raises and that I, uh, that I see in different contexts with this is the different ways that the word "use" is used in an active or passive context. One might see uh, two people to that transaction and ask, "Is a dollar being used in that transaction?" And I think that we would all fairly say yes. But the focus in uh, 924C is on that defendant. Did he use it? Just in in the coffee shop example, did the cashier use the dollar? Or in my example, did Mr. Watson use the firearm? And I think that's the the question that needs to be asked. And when that question is asked in that format, then the answer I suggest is no.
2: I don't remember whether you asked in your brief as an alternative argument uh, for the overruling of Smith.
0: I did not raise that in brief, no, ma'am. With regard to Bailey, which I think answers – to a great extent, some of the questions presented here. Uh, Bailey, of course, uh, held that 924C1 requires evidence sufficient to show an active employment of the firearm by the defendant. Mr. Watson here did not actively employ the firearm. Bailey narrowed the category of uses that fell within the statute. Uh, uh, to quote Bailey, it said, "It's undeniable the active employment reading of use restricts the scope of 924C1." That's the, the jewel of that case. Bailey held that use requires active employment, not only in general, but by the defendant. Uh, More importantly, perhaps, to this case, Bailey held that possession alone is not use. And here Mr. Watson was trying to achieve possession, uh, but – and ultimately, when he did get possession, he had it instantaneously – so looking at it from a temporal standpoint – First, he receives the gun. Before that point, he doesn't have possession, so he doesn't even rise to the level of Bailey. After that point, all he did was possess it for an instant. Still not enough, I'd suggest, to qualify as active employment or use under Bailey, the most recent definition that we have available. There's uh, an argument presented by the government that, that feeds off of Smith's use of 924D, which I wanted to mention briefly. The, uh, and that is the, uh, the importation of the definition of the term use from 924D, the forfeiture provision of the statute, into 924C. In Smith, uh, the Court held that there were predicate offenses for 924D in which the only way that the weapon could be used was in a non-weapon use, which was what the Court was concerned about in the Smith case. And therefore, the Court found, looking at those predicate offenses that had non-weapon uses only, that, therefore, the term use, as it's employed in 924-D, must include non-weapon uses. That logic, however, and that's the argument made by the government, that doesn't translate into the situation we have here. It's addressed, by the way, on page 9 of our reply brief in some detail. I'll talk about it briefly. Uh, First of all, 924-D is is a forfeiture provision, and the focus there necessarily is on the firearm, not on the defendant. The language in 924d is "quote any firearm or ammunition intended to be used in one of the predicate offenses." That's compared with 924c, which states "any person who, during in relation to a drug trafficking crime, uses or carries a firearm." So you have firearm intended to be used on the one hand versus person who uses a firearm. <clears throat> one might say, perhaps, that in this transaction, a firearm was used. But that's a different thing from saying that Mr. Watson used a firearm. It's a passive versus active formulation. It's used
2: by somebody, some human, and the human in this case is Mr. Watson.
0: Well, ma'am, I think under Smith, the human that's using the firearm in the transaction is actually the person that came with the firearm to use it to purchase drugs. And as as Smith said, that that was definitely a use. It wasn't even really contested in, in Smith. But so I, I, and I'm not contesting for this, this case, obviously, that that person that showed up with the gun is using the gun to get drugs.
5: Excuse me. It wasn't
0: contested in Smith? Well, I, I beg your pardon, Judge. I, I meant that the Court, in its, in its holding — I recognize it was contested. In its holding, the Court said that the, 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 it tended to focus more on the question of whether or not a non-weapon use the, would, would be required, but the, the — uh, uh, the, Certainly, as between the two parties in this transaction, the guy that shows up with the gun, trying to use it to get drugs, is certainly making a use of it in a way that the recipient is not. <clears throat> the in uh, uh, in Smith, the court reached the opinion it did about the meaning of the term "use" only because there were uh, there were predicate offenses in which the only uses available were non-weapon uses. Uh, by contrast. Here, there are the predicate offenses that are suggested for, to import this definition of use, there aren't any predicate offenses in which the only way to commit the offense is through receipt. I'll grant you that there are predicate offenses in which receipt is one of the ways the offense can be committed, but it's not the only way. And so that logical step can't be made as it, as it arguably could have been in Smith. And finally, uh, unlike the situation in Smith, here we know that the predicate offenses uh, can't be interpreted. E- excuse me. Here, yes, sir. I'll go back over that.
5: Yes, sir. Why couldn't it have been said in Smith that uh, uh, that trading it for drugs was not the only way in which the offense could have been committed? Couldn't the same thing have been said in Smith?
0: Uh, in Smith, the argument, as I took it from the opinion, ju- Justice, was that the uh, when one looked at the at the predicates, there were several which had – according to the opinion, only non-weapon uses. So if the, if it's used or intended to be used in committing one of those offenses, and one looks at those offenses and there's only non-weapon uses, then the, so the argument goes that means non-weapon uses are part of use.
5: So the, the, the issue in Smith was weapon versus non-weapon, and that's not what you're arguing here. That's correct, sir. The issue here is — Use versus non-use, active employment versus passive receipt.
0: Yes, sir. Why
6: isn't it? Why isn't your argument more directly that the issue here is uh, uh, is is non-weapon use by A versus non-weapon use by B? You represent B, and you say B wasn't the one who used it in a non-weapon sense.
0: I, I agree that certainly, Mr. Watson. You, it didn't use it in any weapon sense. So if there's a use at all, it would be in a non. And if
6: you're right, that's the end of the case. Uh,
0: I, I understand, Your Honor. I understand what you're saying. I, the, uh, and I believe you're right. That, that is another way, and it's not. It's not the, the direction that we went, but I, that makes sense. The, uh, what we focused on was use or not uh, at the first instance. And Smith, having decided that. Uh, in that case, use, and defining it broadly to include a non-weapon use, here we're getting to the point where there's no use at all in the first place.
6: Yeah, but you're not, as you said before, you're not arguing for the overruling of Smith, and therefore you concede that the other party of the transaction used the gun. Yes, sir. In a non-weapon sense. Yes, sir. I think you
5: are making his argument. I, I
6: think you, you're you too humble. <laughs> <laughs>
5: the argument you're making.
3: Well, it's really not a bad one. I mean, you don't... <laughs> But, but what, what, what you're saying is that uh, all Watson did was to receive the gun, but he agreed to accept the gun as payment. Yes. It seems to me that in that sense he used a gun. It wasn't his gun yet, but he agreed that if the gun <coughs> would be uh, brought to the scene of the transaction, that he would accept receipt of it.
0: I would suggest, sir, that that the agreement uh, couldn't rise to the the level of active employment, as that term is is used in Bailey. In other words, at that point, all he's done is make a statement that he'll accept something if it's offered, Uh, whereas in Bailey. he he
3: says, you get a gun, you put it in your car, you come to my house, you bring that gun with you, and I will give you drugs. I think, in a sense, he's using the gun. It's it's through the the uh the actions of another that he's doing it to be sure
0: Uh, uh, we i I would take the position that that he's certainly in a situation like that where he's he's not possessing the gun he's expressing his intentions or desires with respect to it but he's not in a position to do anything more than that I, i i don't think that that fits within the definition of use i don't think that if i say that uh, that I'd like to buy your house, and uh, if you'll sell it to me, that I'm using the house.
3: Maybe, perhaps, but it, it seems to me to uh, un, un, unduly constrict the case to say that all he did was to receive it. He did more than that. He agreed in advance.
0: It, it is correct that when he, that, although he initially wanted to ask how much he, the gun he was. He
7: agreed to let the other party of the transaction use a gun to pay for the drugs.
0: Well, I think — the other party
7: make the use of the gun.
0: Actually, the, the, the factually, what happened was that he wanted to buy a gun, and then the police officer undercover people said, well, instead of giving money, we'll take drugs for it, which, of course, brought us in, within the statute. That's the, that's the factual — particular factual circumstances here. <clears throat> what do you
8: have besides the linguistic argument?
0: The, I mean, what I,
8: I start I, — I can't think of a reason why Congress would have wanted to penalize the buyer, not the seller. We're dealing with a statute that does catch your client, if they'd only charged him with the right part, Uh, but uh, no one in his right mind would ever rely on a ruling in your favor to actually engage in such a transaction, since it would violate the statute in 15 different ways. I exaggerate, but you see the point. Uh, So you have a linguistic argument, which people are — you're right, I think, in saying it's awkward, but not impossible — and therefore awkward but not impossible, we'd create an anomaly in the law. I can't think of a reason why to do it. So what else do you have?
0: Bailey. Yeah. I have this Court's decision in Bailey, Your Honor, and uh, namely there that, that it can't just be a use. Even if we were to, to go ahead and, and, and hold our mouths in such a way and make that awkward formulation and say that what he did was a use, it's still not rising to the level, as Bailey interpreted the term, of active employment. And, of course, you could over- say
5: the same thing about Bailey, I suppose. You know what did what what was there in Bailey except what what was the term linguistic nothing but a linguistic decision.
0: I I guess ultimately Bailey doesn't make
5: any more sense either from a policy standpoint. I I do think we sometimes rely on on linguistics,
0: don't we? Yes, sir. Otherwise, what is the words
8: of the statute?
0: I I do think that I don't want to
8: put you in a whipsaw here. I mean, <laughs> sometimes policy seems relevant, too, to figure out what Congress wanted. But let me go back to, to the question I had, which is, uh, uh, do you want us to overturn Smith? Are you asking that? Because I could understand it more easily if you said, look, both sides of the transaction should be treated alike, but they should be both outside the word use.
0: I do not believe it's necessary for this Court to overrule Smith in order to rule for the petitioner here because of the, because of the differences, first of all, linguistically, and secondly, because of the reliance on Bailey.
2: And in my uh, answer to my question, you said you were not urging the overruling of Smith.
0: That's correct. Uh, that being said, I, I think that there's, there are arguments that can be presented. They were presented in, in, in Smith, one could take one position or the other. uh, But it doesn't doesn't do violence to Smith to hold for uh, the petitioner here. Um, uh, Ultimately, when you you look at the Bailey decision and at the facts of Bailey, and there you have people riding around with guns in the trunk of their car, uh, and that's held not to be a use within the statute. Well, here, Watson didn't even do that. He never had the guns in the first place going into the transaction. Um, So it seems to me if if Bailey …
8: he receives the gun, and it could have been loaded. And if it was loaded, you receive a loaded gun, and you're there, and you give the money for the gun, and you have the gun, and somebody comes up, maybe you'll shoot them. Uh, and that seems like a
0: risk. Under Bailey, however, if all he did was receive the gun, hold it in his hand, Bailey says, that's not enough. That's not a use. And, of course, those are the facts of this case. That
3: suppose suppose but, he received the gun, loaded it, and said, now let's renegotiate this transaction.
0: <laughs> as, Bailey, as Bailey taught very clearly, if he then takes the gun and uses it to communicate a threat to the other party, then he is making a use. He's now actively employing it in this case as a threatening item. And and but well, he
3: doesn't brandish it. He just he he puts it in his pocket and Well, let's renegotiate this. What, I, what result? Could the government charge him?
0: Your Honor, I believe if the jury was to find in that factual scenario that, that that he was in fact silently making reference to the gun, then I think that gets you within Bailey. There's all kinds of things Mr. Watson could do. Beyond what the facts of this case are, that would turn it what he did into active employment and use. But merely getting it and putting it and, and holding it, which are the facts in this record, doesn't doesn't rise to the level of use under Bailey. Clearly. I thought
8: Bailey involved a guy with had a, he had the gun in the locked thing in the trunk of his car, which is a little different from holding it in your hand.
0: There were two, there were actually two uh, two different fact patterns in that consolidated. One one had a gun that was locked up in another room. The other one had guns in the trunk, with expert testimony being that that, that was the typical method of drug dealers to, uh, to protect their drugs and things. But so he was, has
2: the gun in his hand. He's certainly carrying it.
0: He, he did have the gun in his hand, and he would be carrying it uh, under Muscarello and the other cases. That's correct. Yes, ma'am. The uh, uh, recognizing, again, I just would point out that whatever condition Mr. Watson had the gun in, and, and in this record, that's unloaded uh was the choice not of Mr Watson but of the people that brought him the gun. It's in this clip fed gun it was up to them whether you can give him a clip or not without which the gun's useless. That's again the choice of the in this case police officers how they were going to hand it to, to him. Uh if the I have no other nothing else unless there's any questions.
1: Thank you Mr Cope. Yes sir. Ms. Maynard
9: Mr Chief Justice and may it please the court. Petitioner used the firearm by accepting it in exchange for his drugs. In doing so, Petitioner used a firearm during a relation to a drug trafficking crime. Although the situation in Smith was different, the principle of Smith is that use of a firearm as an item of trade or commerce, specifically use as the medium of exchange, is a use falling within the meaning of Section 924C.
6: Yeah, but that does not answer the question, use by whom? No, as I understand it, we're not really arguing about whether the gun was used in the transaction. We're arguing about
9: whether the defendant was the one who used it. And and the petitioner did use it here, Your Honor, in agreeing to take it in exchange for a certain amount of his drugs. Yeah, but I
6: mean, the the problem it seems to me you've got that you can't totally paper over is that that's not usually the way we talk. I mean, if, if if I buy a car. And, and pay money for it, I do not use the car in the transaction. It's what I have after the transaction is complete. And, and you've, you've got that kind of linguistic problem here, it seems to me.
9: If you buy the car, then you have used the car as an item of trade or commerce during a relation to that commercial transaction. We, we don't usually talk that way, but you do. we do, you, and one can. It's enough it's
5: to say we don't usually talk that way.
9: I don't think I mean, so your honor as long as it is the end one of, it. of the we nor-
5: don't usually talk that way we we don't say use a car when you buy a car
9: well here your honor it's important to put it in the statutory context of course and the statutory context asks whether or not one has used a firearm during in relation to a drug trafficking crime here a drug transaction and i do but think that, one that can adds
6: an extra element that you have to prove but it doesn't answer the linguistic point
9: i think one can employ use in a natural way to mean receipt in the way that Use a here. And the subway system uses tokens.
7: If, you, if you're on the other side of the transaction, it's perfectly natural to say, I use the gun to pay for the drugs. Now, what is the converse sentence? I use the gun.
9: I use the gun as the medium of exchange to sell my drugs. Just in the same way that this. St- I
7: didn't use the gun as a minimum of exchange. I accepted the gun as a minimum of exchange. He didn't use it till he got it. He was-
9: I believe in any barter transaction, your honor. In particular, where one side has said, and they've negotiated out, "I will sell you this amount of drugs for this particular firearm," that then both have used the gun as the medium of. So, if
7: you have, I'm sorry, but you don't have the simple sentence. I use the gun to pay for the drugs. That's easy, but you don't have a simple
3: countervailing sentence.
9: I, um, I, I think you can. Of course, you could
3: say we used the gun in order to complete the drug transaction.
9: And, and the drug dealer used the gun as the medium of exchange to complete his drug sale. And I do think we do sometimes use use in that way, Justice Stevens. The subway system uses tokens. The metro well, if system. You have,
1: let's say you have a duel, and each person in the duel needs to have a weapon. One person has a gun; the other person has the sword. Would you say the person with the sword is using the gun in the duel? Well, in a because you can't have a duel without both people having weapons.
9: You would have certainly um, used the sword as a weapon. (laughs) There's no exchange there, Your Honor. Here it's crucial because you have during in relation to a drug trafficking crime, which here is the drug exchange, just like in Smith.
1: Each person in the drug exchange brings to the table what they've got. The one has the drugs. The other brings a gun. That doesn't mean that the person with the drugs is using the gun.
9: If he agrees to trade his drugs — for the gun as the currency to close the drug transaction, I believe he has used the gun in a way that we normally use the word.
6: But the you only know. way you can make that argument is to define the crime as consisting of the agreement as opposed to the consummated transaction.
9: No, I think, the, I think the crime is the taking of the firearm in exchange for the drug.
6: Well, I thought you said a minute ago that he was using it because he agreed to accept it.
9: I think one could make the argument, Justice Souter, that an agreement alone is a use once one agrees to use the gun as the medium of exchange to sell one's drugs. Um, the government is not pressing that point here today, and we don't — and the Court need not go that far, because here a petitioner actually did receive the drugs. And the reason that possibly the agreement line goes too far is the rationale of this Court's decision in Smith, where the Court pointed out that someone who makes a material misstatement in order to acquire a gun. Is clearly not using the gun, but the court gave examples of receipt offenses in in the forfeiture provisions in section 924D, where receipt of a firearm is a use within the why, statute. Why? Why? Why
5: wouldn't making a material misstatement in order to obtain a gun constitute a use of the gun as much as it? The receipt of the gun constitutes a use of the gun here. What's the difference between the two situations?
9: I think one could make the argument, Your Honor, as I said, that making a material statement. I'm saying the not, board not if you Smith, believe Smith. I beg your pardon?
5: Not, not if you believe Smith.
9: Because Smith, and that's why the government is drawing the line today at actual receipt, and that's That's all that's involved in this case—the actual taking of the firearm. Where then you have all the dangers present with which Congress was concerned, which is.
7: Justice Breyer made the very persuasive argument that it doesn't make any sense not to treat both sides of the of the transaction exactly the same. But isn't it the fact that in many drug transactions the buyer is not treated the same way as the seller? I mean, it's a crime to sell poison drugs, but it may not be a crime to buy the poison drug.
9: Well, there are two points in response to that, Your Honor. One is that if the buyer of drugs buys a distribution quantity, then we do often treat the buyer as a distributor under the distribution statute.
7: Yeah, But, but generally speaking, buyers and sellers are not always treated alike in the criminal law, are they?
9: When Congress — no, that's correct, Your Honor. But in those cases where Congress uses words, like it does in the distribution statute, that clearly targets one side or other of the transaction. But here, what the Court is interpreting is the much broader word, use. And we know from Section 924D's forfeiture provisions that Congress employed the word used broadly in Section 924D and, in, and used it to include receipt crimes. And Smith cites several examples of receipt crimes that Smith believed was a use, including unlicensed receipt of a firearm from out of state, receipt of a stolen firearm, and receipt of a firearm with an intent to commit a felony. And in context, Congress clearly did use Use broadly in section 924. If, if in response to uh, their argument in response to our argument about D1, the forfeiture provisions in D1 and D3, I do think those provisions strongly support the government's argument here.
5: Why? Um, um, there's uh, they refer to crimes in which there's been a receipt, but there's also been a, uh, uh, a conveyance. Why do you focus on the receiver rather than the conveyor?
9: Because our reading, Justice Clea, gives full effect to the provisions that Congress has carefully chosen to place in D3, and the, and the petitioner's reading does not. What are they? And if I can, can explain it. Um, in, in D1, it's on page 8A of our brief, D1 is set forth. In 924 D1, Congress provided two principal ways in which the government can forfeit firearms. The first is, if an offense is completed, the government can – Forfeit a firearm that is involved in or used in that offense.
5: Involved in that broadens
1: that enormously, doesn't it?
9: Yes, it does, Your Honor. Mm -hmm. But that actually strengthens my point.
1: But cuts the other way. Congress knows how to say involved in if it wants to reach that broadly, and it didn't do it under the provision in which Mr. Pursuant to which Mr. Watson was indicted.
9: Well yes, Your Honor, but in, if you allow me to, to continue, continue on, further on in D1, Congress used a narrow subset of crimes, some of which include receipt crimes, where it only used the word use. And that's the logic of this Court's decision in Smith, and it e- applies equally here. Further down in D1, Congress allowed the government to forfeit crimes intended to be used in certain very specific listed crimes. And, in other words, to forfeit the firearms before the the, uh, the The crime actually is committed. Some of those crimes include receipt crimes, include the very receipt crimes listed by this Court in Smith. And so given that Congress believed that the firearms intended to be used in purely receipt crimes were ultimately going to be used by the receipt, Congress employed the term here very broadly, including to receipt of the firearms. But it could
5: could have been. it is intended to be used not necessary as as your your uh, opponent pointed out uh this section does not focus on the individual it focuses on the firearm simply for for confiscation of the firearm and and therefore it suffices if either side intended it to be used it doesn't have to be the recipient who intended it to be used even though it's a receipt crime it was intended to be used by the other side wouldn't, wouldn't I think if it. you were
9: to in, 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 interpret D three in that way, your honor, you would do great balance to what Congress intended. If I can point you to um, page ten A of our brief, in its D three sets forth very particularly the crimes that Congress thought the government should be able to forfeit firearms before the crime what occurs. Page, uh? It's on the government's gray brief, ten A. In in E of of 922, this is a 924, I'm sorry, 924 uh, D3E. It includes any offense described in section, and it lists several examples, including 922 n And A 922N is set forth in the government's brief on page 2A, which makes it a crime for someone under felony indictment to ship, transport, or receive a firearm. Now under petitioner's reading, they would say, well, that's fine, that still has meaning. Under our reading of use, the government can forfeit firearms that the person under felony indictment intends to ship or transport, but cannot forfeit firearms that the person
8: this is, this is what is bothering me about your side of this case. I start thinking this is a total fluke. Normally, you would charge him under possession in furtherance of, which you didn't for reasons I don't know, or he'd be an accessory, which he isn't here because the other side was a government agent. So we've got a fluke. Now, if I accept your linguistic approach, I don't know what I'm getting into. Imagine an artillery team. One loads the the, the the ammunition, the other pulls the trigger. We say the team used the ammunition, but the guy who pulled the trigger by himself didn't. Think of a baseball team. The pitcher doesn't use the bat, but the team does. Now, if I take your linguistic approach, Where am I in respect to other statutes? But if I deny your linguistic approach on the ground that it's unnatural to say use of the the individual used it, all I've done is create a fluke case because it'll never come up again.
9: I don't think that it's — there several responses, Your Honor — I don't think it's unnatural to use use to mean receipt when you're talking about using something as the medium of exchange during in relation to a drug trafficking crime. Because, as I have said before, uh, company stores use Scrip. American stores use dollars. French stores use Euros. We, we can use the word use in a natural Those way to are mean are the all currency. Those all
7: examples. I use the gun to pay for the item. You don't use the word use when you're the seller. It doesn't fit.
9: No, Your Honor, I, di- I disagree. I think when a company store uses script, that means it accepts script as money from the company employee. So
1: if Congress passed a statute saying anyone who uses a gun in a crime of violence gets an additional sentence, person who's shot is using the gun in a crime of violence?
9: You wouldn't have to go that far here, Your Honor, because the um, — The the use here is use as a medium of exchange. So the Court need go no further, and that's another response to Justice Breyer. The Court need go further, no further than it did in Smith, which it doesn't have to, we have much more than receipt simpliciter here, Justice Breyer. We have the negotiated transaction where he received the farm as the medium of exchange. So is that a necessary
1: element of the offense, that the transaction be negotiated in advance?
9: No, Your Honor. If you take it as the medium of exchange to sell your drugs, he doesn't dispute that he engaged in a drug trafficking crime. And he doesn't dispute that he took the gun as the currency to close that drug deal. And that is a use within the meaning, within a natural meaning of use, which is used as currency. That
3: the parties are viewed collectively, so that in Justice Breyer's example, uh, the pitcher and the batter used a ball and a bat. Is is that your position, and and in this case, the, the seller and the buyer used drugs and a gun.
9: In any bartering exchange, well, Justice does, does Canadian, that
3: fit with the words of the statute? Because any person who
9: Any so person? Even though
3: if it's a collective enterprise, you can still focus on one of the parties and prevail? Is that your position?
9: Well, imagine, imagine a statute that made it a crime to use United States currency during in relation to a drug trafficking crime. A drug dealer who sold his drugs for cash would surely be in violation of that statute. This is no different. The Court has already held that using the firearm as currency is a violation of the statute. Well, I don't think —
1: I don't see how your hypothetical advances the argument. I mean, I I don't necessarily agree that someone who sells drugs for currency is using the currency in the transaction. They're accepting it. It's what they want. It's not the same as using it.
9: No, Your Honor. I think they're using it as the medium of exchange, which I think even under the sense rationale in Smith, I mean, such a a statute, if you would say, well, what's the normally intended — uh, use of United States currency, and that would be as the medium of exchange. And both well, parties. Well, that's what weakens
1: it. your hypothetical. It's not the normal use of a gun as a medium of exchange.
9: Yes, but the court has already held that using a gun as the medium of exchange falls within the statute. May no, I it's
1: held, that, be it's be held be that the person who does use the gun, which is the natural grammatical construction, uses a firearm. That's quite a bit different than the question of whether someone who receives it as the consideration is using the firearm.
9: I think the, the rationale necessary to the holding in, in Smith, Your Honor, was that use of a gun as an item of trade or commerce, specifically as the medium of exchange, is the use. And in fact, Smith refers several times to an earlier D.C. Circuit decision in, in Harris, um, a procurium, a published procurium on which two members of this Court were on the panel that involved this very fact pattern.
7: Where the the, the DC yes, circuit, but the argument in Jess O'Connor's opinion was largely linguistic. It's the natural use of the word used to say I used it to pay for the gun. I used it to pay for the drugs rather. But it, you don't have a countervailing sentence that fits into anything in her opinion, and you haven't really answered his reliance on the on the other case, which requires active use.
9: I think. In in Bailey, Your Honor, the Court required a use that makes the gun an operative factor, a use that changes the circumstances where both parties are aware the gun is being used. This is a far cry from Bailey. This is not locked-up weapons where only one party is aware of their existence to protect the store of drugs. This gun was front and center, part and parcel of the drug transaction. It It was —
2: It was — Watson possessed the gun. Would you agree with that? In furtherance of the transaction, would you say that this case fits the statute as amended so it could have been charged as possession? Yes, Your Honor. That's
9: the government's position.
2: Why, was it char- why wasn't possession charged here?
9: I do not know the specific circumstances of the charging decision here, Justice Ginsburg, but in the Fifth Circuit, the law was already clear that this was a use. And indeed, when, the Congre- when Congress amended the statute post-Bailey to expand uh, this Court's understanding of the meaning of use, there was no need to address this particular fact pattern because most but, of the but, but the prosecutor
2: would certainly want to uh, assure the success of the argument. And if it's, this is clearly possession, why wasn't possession charged? And does the Department of Justice give any guidance to prosecutors since the 1988 amendment on what to charge in these situations?
9: I don't know the answer to that, Your Honor. I don't know the answer to either of those questions. But I do know that e- we argued in our opposition to the cert petition that this question doesn't have much going forward significance be- because of that new uh, amendment.
5: Maybe, maybe they were doubtful about whether the possession thing applies here. I don't know. It possesses a firearm in furtherance of the crime. I mean, the, the, the crime has been completed by the time the, uh, the person who's receiving the gun has possession of it.
9: I think it's part it's and It's hard to
5: say it's in furtherance of the crime when the crime is over once he gets it. His, his possession is not in furtherance of the crime, seems to me. I it's think the so. other person's possession that's in furtherance of the crime. He possesses it so he can turn it over, uh, which is the crime. But uh, I, I mean, I'm just not all that sure that you, you, you have a hundred percent easy case on the possession point.
9: Well, the petitioner agrees with you on that, Your Honor, but but four circuits have agreed with the government. On the going-forward basis, we think we do have a good argument. Here, under your hypothetical, imagine a situation where the gun is turned over first, and then the the drugs are are traded. It would certainly seem that you have possessed it in furtherance there. I I think it is possession in furtherance because it, it is the sine qua non of the drug transaction. It's the very part and parcel of drug transaction. But it does, this case does matter to the government because the government has prosecuted people properly, it thinks, under the use prong of the statute. Those people are currently stand convicted, and as experience proved post-Bailey, if this Court were to rule against the government here, that, would have an, that could have an effect on those people's current incarceration. If I could get back to my 922D point, just to finish up, which is well, that —
1: I don't understand the significance of the argument you just made. Are you saying that because some people might be let out of prison, if we correctly construed the statute, we could, should read it your way?
9: No, Your Honor. Of course, if, if, the, if the court feels that these people are improperly convi- convicted, then, you know, they can pursue whatever remedies they so, may have. And what happen. was your
1: point in referring to the people who were convicted under this statute, under this construction of the statute?
9: That it, that it is of ongoing importance to the government, even though, as a prospective matter, the government may be able to charge this conduct, under possession and furtherance.
1: Well I thought the argument you made earlier was that this may not be of particular ongoing significance because of the amendment.
9: Right, Your Honor. From now on, the government could charge if you if you rule against us in this case, we believe we can charge this conduct under possession and furtherance. However, my point is is that we nevertheless care about the result in this case. We believe that people in this situation have used the firearm as the means of exchange during a relation to a drug trafficking crime and stand properly convicted. It was only to make the point that the government does have an interest in how the Court rules in this case, and that's not meaningless to us which prong applies here. Um, in, back to the 922 D4 point, the under petitioner's reading, it would mean that the government can't forfeit firearms in the situation like someone under felony indictment ships or transports is intends to ship or transport a firearm, under petitioner's reading, the government can forfeit that because they consider that to be active verbs. But under — if the person under felony indictment simply intends to receive a firearm, the government would have to wait until that person receives the firearm in order to be able to forfeit it. And that is — I suggest no rational Congress would have meant that by referring to the provision. They do point to — well, if they're — if there are no further questions, I think the government believes that this crime, this, that the use of the gun in this manner is a crime, that there's no reason to believe that Congress would have wanted the defendant and Smith to stand convicted of this crime but to leave the drug dealer who ends up with the gun not with the punishment My for this crime. It just occurred to me when
7: you distinguished the uh, case in the record, our unanimous opinion requiring active use, you said, well, that, that gun was on the trunk of a car, so there was no — what if the, the this gun had been in the trunk of the car also, and the guy said, "Well, that's, it's now that's your gun."
9: Whose trunk is it, in, your honor?
7: The, they, they just transferred ownership in exchange for drugs, with by transferring title to a gun that was located in the in the trunk of a car.
9: If he has constructive possession of it, Justice Stevens, and he's, re, he, I believe, he would have received it, and that would be sufficient.
7: So it it, it was not sufficient in, uh, is Bailey the name of the case, but it would be sufficient here because it played a role in the transaction.
9: Yes, Your Honor. I mean, Bailey makes examples to things that would involve an act of employment, including reference to a gun, that if the reference to a gun changes the circumstances
2: of the underlying offense. um, Smith, in Smith, Justice O'Connor used the illustration turning Currency into a cannon. You can't do that very well if the gun is in a car, in a locked trunk in a car on the street. You You can't turn the currency, the gun, into a cannon.
9: That's true, Justice Ginsburg, and if the Court wanted to limit it to uh, use, means that you've actually taken possession of it because that, that, that's all the government is defending here. That's what happened in this case. That's what happens in most of the cases. I, I, I would also like to say in response to their point about um, the government sting that if you look at the cases in the courts of appeals, there are many cases where that indicate these kinds of trades do happen in the real world, absent government involvement. For example, in the First Circuit's decision in Cato, which is currently pending before the Court, the the person who ultimately became became the confidential informant, before that, the drug dealer had sold to her drugs for guns on 20 separate occasions. So this is 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 there any reason
8: in such a case if you lost this case? In the future, could you not just charge, as Justice Alito said, that they're a principle in the possession by the seller,
9: we we believe if the government's
8: not involved. Then, if the government's involved on the other side, I guess you'd have to charge an attempt.
9: There's no attempt offense under section nine twenty four c, Justice Brown. You you can use a gun during relation to an attempted drug crime, but you can't attempt to use a gun. The 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 um, the government believes it could on a going forward basis charge possession. Oh, you're asking me about whether we could charge aiding and abetting going forward. The the Seventh Circuit has suggested in dicta that that would be open to the government to charge. Um, I think that it, and and potentially, even though it wasn't in the indictment here, it could be read into the indictment. Um, But there are two possible issues. One that uh, my colleague has pointed out, which is in some cases where Congress has Criminalized one side of the transaction, but not the other, and so that might be the situation here. If this so, your
8: practical argument then is that there has been considerable reliance on your interpretation to the extent that many people have been convicted under it. How many?
9: That I don't know, Your Honor.
8: About of you, any rough idea?
9: I don't know, Your Honor. But there are six circuits on our side of, of the of the conflict, and um, so it, 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 I don't know. Um, if there are no further questions.
1: Thank you, Ms. Maynard. Uh, MR. Koch, you have four minutes remaining.
9: Thank you, Your Honor.
0: Uh, uh, I, As I indicated before, I don't think that it's necessary to overrule Smith to rule for the petitioner, but if, if, if consistency on both sides of the transaction is desired, it, it certainly something has to go, I would suggest it ought to be Smith. Uh, uh, because otherwise you, you're stuck with, with Bailey and with what I'd suggest are settled principles of statutory construction. The, I think Smith takes the, takes it about as far as it could go, uh, and you're having to make, uh, you have to make a number of, of linguistic compromises in to, to get to the Smith result to begin with. The, uh, with regard to the, the charging as possession and furtherance or not, again, not before it's not part of this case, I, I would suggest that Mr. Watson possessed this firearm as a consequence of a drug transaction rather than in furtherance of a drug transaction. Uh, I do think, and it's obvious from, from other statutes in the neighborhood, that Congress certainly knows how to, say, receive and accept and, and words of that nature, if it was its intent – to, uh, to, uh, to make the receipt of a weapon, or bring that within the ambit of this of this particular statute um, i don 't think it 's enough to say uh, as, as my opponent does use as a medium of exchange if it 's a crime, for example, to use a forged instrument, uh, the guy who accepts it doesn 't use it i don 't think by any reasonable interpretation, uh, so I, I think that, that that really stretches this. Farther than it should go. Uh, lastly, I would point out, and, and again, this is in our brief around page 9 with respect to this 924D argument. Uh, one of the predicate offenses that's used in 924D is 922J, which includes language, it shall be unlawful for any person to receive, possess, conceal, store, barter, sell, or dispose of, etc. Well, possess is there in 922J, yet we know from Bailey that possess in and of itself can't be a use. And that's just one of the reasons why that argument, unfortunately, falls apart when one's trying to import uh, those definitions of use into this statute. I have nothing further.
1: Thank you, Mr. Koch. The case is submitted.